Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. Chris, good having you. Uh, today, we're going to start off with, with Treasury yields. Uh, so this week, looking back, the 10-year hit 1.45. Uh, the 30-year is threatening to go below 2%. Um, and it seems, though, that the Fed was, is hinting that tapering and interest rate increases might be sooner than, than previously anticipated. So you know, the question for you this morning is, is, you know, is the Fed behind the curve on raising rates and reducing liquidity? Um, they're, they're behind the curve, but probably not in the way the market thinks. Uh, the interesting thing is the Fed always is behind the curve. They, they follow the market. They follow uh, interest rates higher. They follow interest rates lower. And I think they intentionally talk about indicators that are incredibly lagging, like employment inflation are probably the, the most lagging indicators you could point to if you were going to try to predict where the economy is going. And so while the market's concerned that they're going to start uh, – raising rates sooner than expected. The reality is they need to start talking about uh, cutting rates. They need to talk about loosening policy, not tightening policy. And so what I mean by that is it is very clear we have all of our data confirming that we're on the cusp of an industrial slowdown. Um, And while the industrial sector led the recovery and and the goods producing sector led the recovery, as we shifted from services spending to goods-based spending while we were all at home, um, it will certainly lead uh, the downside as well. So the goods-producing sectors are set to slow. It means the services sectors will follow you know, reasonably quickly thereafter once we are fully reopened. So let's say we're fully reopened over the next quarter or so, then certainly by mid-next year, we'd probably see services follow. So. The reality is the, the Fed is behind the curve, and they're kind of running out of room to maneuver as well because they need, they're going to need to loosen policy, uh, not tighten policy. Um, and they're gonna, they're, it's going to be difficult to do. Inflationary pressures are still with us. Uh, they could prove transitory, but that hasn't proven to be the case yet. And as you're describing some of these areas that looking at a slowdown, um, perhaps we could talk a bit about what happened last week, last week's volatility. We saw a big drawdown on Thursday and Friday. Um, do you think this is the beginning of a, of a regime shift inside the market? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things going on. While we had a lot of volatility last week, we, we need to remember that with passive strategies being such a large percentage of the market um, and market activity, you are going to have more volatility to the upside and downside. So every move is going to be a little bit exaggerated. Um, at the same time, I think last week was a repositioning Certainly, the uh, Fed commentary surprised the market, and we saw that surprise in the movement of the two-year Treasury yield. Although it was relatively minor, you know, it's enough on the margin when you're in such a low-rate environment with so much leverage in a system to create some deleveraging and repositioning. Um, And also, we saw the Fed uh, make some changes. It raised the interest on excess reserves, and we've seen a flood of liquidity to their a reverse repurchasing facility that's outstanding. Um, and, you know, that, that means there's volatility. There's just money moving around. So I think the volatility was more coincident with narratives that are coming out about a regime shift, but I think it was just movement within market participants where collateral was going to be borrowed and some modesty risking, uh, less to do with fundamentals and, and more to do with structural forces within the market itself. And you can kind of see that when you look at uh, volatility measures of, of key areas in the market, 
they really haven't moved, and in fact, they're continuing to improve. So that says that the market fundamentals are internal. It's just a, a moving around, and, and we haven't really started discounting a slowdown yet. And, and talking about slowdown, one thing I want to go back to is, is you mentioned in your previous response um, the industrial growth is, is slowing going forward and, and that you're seeing the market start to discount this slowdown. Um, so do you think investors should position for weakening growth going forward? I, I think we need to think about how this cycle is going to be different and it's slowed down than our last cycle when we were peaking at the end of 2017. Um, and you can already see investors are thinking about going back to that old playbook and just hiding, hiding out in the FANG names as we approach this slowdown. The, the FANG stocks themselves, if you look at the implied volatility in their option structure, they're trading at a discount, which is a, a sign of complacency. It may turn out to be that it is, in fact, a, an area to hide. Um, but I think it's, it's going to be fairly different. We were coming, in, prior, in the previous slowdown, we were coming from such low nominal levels of growth that any slowdown was quite material. Now we're talking about, you know, instead of growing, you know, 11%, we're going to grow 6%, and we may slow to 5 or 4 um, And that's going to have very different implications. And the other kind of contextual difference is, we're at a very different point in the commodity cycle. And when I, when I say commodity, I really am not talking about the industrial metals. I mean, we've already seen corrections in copper. We've seen corrections uh, in iron ore and steel. We've seen cor corrections uh, start to develop in lumber as well. But they're quite frankly, those are immaterial uh, to the inflationary environment. What is very material, though, are, is oil prices. And we are at, at a rare point where the oil cycle itself is kind of um, uh, disconnected from the broader cycle. We underinvested in oil productive capacity for several years. And then with the severe shocks coming out of OPEC and the pandemic um, in last year that resulted in negative oil prices, that just further pulled capital out of an industry that really needed to see capital moving into it for the last 24 months. Um, and so I think, you know, we're going to have a, an environment where, where growth is slowing. While inflation may be slowing, it's going to be sticky. Uh, inflation, again, oil's important, labor's important, labor and wages are very sticky right now. Uh, just like COVID accelerated a lot of trends, it accelerated the retirement. We've lost about 1.2 million workers. Um, it, we're having a very difficult time getting employees back into the workforce. Uh, and it goes beyond just, you know, the extended unemployment benefits that are set to expire. So wages will be sticky. Oil prices will be sticky to the upside and probably rising as well. And then the other large component is home prices. And home prices have risen about 20% year over year. Um, and the Fed and the government, quite frankly, is overstimulated at a time when we've lost a lot of supply. Um, and so when, when we're in an environment where you're slowing down with inflation sticky, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if the beneficiaries are more stagflationary beneficiaries. So you would, you would position accordingly uh, in select industrials, maybe in select uh, energy companies, uh, which is very different from prior slowdowns. So I, I do think, uh, in, the, in the words of Mark Twain, history is going to rhyme this time, not repeat. And so investors need to position accordingly. 
And, and do you find it unusual as you're looking out at, at some of these commodities that you just uh, just discussed, copper, iron ore, steel, lumber, that they're all moving in an opposing direction to what we're finding with oil? Uh, is that is that atypical, or, or is a situation like this something that you'd expect? No, it's it's definitely atypical, and it's just the nuances of the, the oil cycle uh, in the way it's played out. You know, the the energy space was in an extended bubble for a couple of years with all the excess capitalization in the onshore production in North America. And so as that bubble deflated, unfortunately, it meant there was no capital brought to the industry um, outside of the U.S. since about 2014. And then with all the discussion around a shift to renewables um, and a shift to, to green energy, it's further uh, pressured uh, investment from coming back into the space. And, you know, we're just going to get to that point where uh, physics meets politics and, and we'll find out what the fundamentals are first, the narratives. And we just, we're going to need a lot more investment in fossil fuels if we want to make the green transition or if we just want to grow the global economy in general. Great. Well, good. Well, I think that's a good place to, to stop for the today. And so thank you very much uh, for coming on and look forward to having you here again shortly. Thanks, you bet, Chris. Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.